0: Today, our series through the Gospel of Mark, we're taking this quick journey through this Gospel, walking with Jesus, with the goal that we would actually become like Jesus. We'd become the kind of people who sound like Jesus, look like Jesus. People would identify us as Jesus followers. And so we're taking this journey through the Gospel of Mark, which is a fast moving Gospel, all the way up to the cross and the resurrection. Today, as we move into the next two scenes of the Gospel of Mark, I was thinking about what would happen if I changed careers. Like, let's say midstream. Let's say I wanted to be an electrician. What would I need to do to be an electrician? So I googled it, and I found a very credible site, decided to print that off and read to you what it would take to be an electrician. And what I found as I... Research what it would take to be an electrician is that what I'm about to read you, to you has everything to do with what we will look at in the Gospel of Mark today. So, here's what, here's the way you could become an electrician three easy steps. Well, we do have uh, at least one electrician I know of, easy steps, very easy steps. You start first with the apprentice stage, the apprenticeship stage. Whether you take courses or not, you're still going to have to cut your teeth as an apprentice. An apprentice works typically four years in the position and must be under the direct supervision of a master electrician. You can either apply for the position with the National, National Contractors Association with a local union or you can seek out your own independent master electrician. In the beginning, tasks are to be more menial, like running errands, delivering materials, or just getting to know the business. As time goes on, you get ready to take your journeyman's test. You will find you need to prove your logged hours. You actually have to show you logged hours on the job, W-4 forms, perhaps even a signed letter from the master electrician. Then you move to the journeyman stage. A journeyman electrician is someone who is logged the proper hours on the job training here as an apprentice has passed his certification test. A journeyman is licensed to work on his own without the direct supervision of a master electrician. Tasks include installing wiring, outlets, and fixtures. A journeyman can also do service work and troubleshoot, but one thing a journeyman cannot do is pull permits. Uh, Journeymen must still follow the plans of a master electrician, whether that be in a residential, commercial, or industrial setting. Then the third stage is master electrician. A master electrician, of course, is the one who calls the shots. A master electrician is not only permitted to work on his own, He is the one who can bid for jobs, pull permits, lay out wiring systems and installations. He is responsible for routing circuits, determining the types of circuit breakers needed. A master electrician can own his own business or work for another company. Three stages. Take a look at them. I just wanted to make sure we were understanding this, that you, as electrician, have to start as an Apprentice. Which means you have to come alongside someone else doing real work, learning from them how to do the work they do, and then you do it. And then you move to that journeyman stage where you get a little more responsibility then all the way to master. It's that path that has everything to do with where we will be in the Gospel of Mark today. And that, that path to become an electrician and also other professions is... The way of the kingdom of God. And so we want to take a look at what that, what that means here in Mark. We're in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 7. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. We'll take the first scene here in the gospel. Now if you don't have a Bible with you, or you just don't want to open one up, just come along with me on the slides. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to, to the lake. And a large crowd from Galilee followed... When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Endumea, the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him, for he had healed many, so that those who had diseases were pushing forward to touch him. And whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him, and they cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. So let's just stop there at the first scene. So remember where we've been so far. We know that Jesus comes with a message of the kingdom of God. And we know that he's also doing a lot of miracles and he's healing a lot of people. People are coming with a disease or they're coming with skin ailments. They're coming with impure spirits they're coming with all kinds of brokenness. And Jesus is healing them. And there's a temptation growing among the people. That is, to see Jesus for everything he can do while missing Jesus himself. This is how we summarized it a few weeks ago. There was a temptation among the people to love the miracle so much that they missed the Messiah. We noted that that's something that we sometimes struggle with, right? Like, we want everything Jesus can do for us, we just don't want Jesus, And here we find that the people, here again, are crowding upon Jesus and they're wanting all the things He can give them. But Jesus is about much more than just healing. He's bringing a message. He's spreading good news. And this is how the Gospel of Mark launches, with the good news of the Messiah. He's the one that's going to fulfill all the promises that Israel had for all those hundreds of years. And then we saw in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, remember what we read. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Here was his message, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Turn from what? You have been doing, change the way you have been thinking because something new is on the scene. A new world order is breaking in on this old order. So now come, here's the invitation to participate. And then we also read uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 38. The crowds have come in on Jesus. The disciples want him to go to the crowds. And Jesus replied to them, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can... Preach there also. That is why I've come. That's why I've come. He came to bring good news. He's bringing a new order. He's bringing a new kind of life. And remember, as he brings this new life, as he brings light to darkness, he is impinging upon, he's on the offense against the rule of Satan. Because remember, what we were talking about weeks ago was that if the kingdom of God is near, the question is... What kingdom has been here all along, if just now the kingdom of God is near? And we noted that Satan, the adversary, held power in this world because he held death, the power of death. And here comes Jesus bringing light into darkness. And as light enters darkness, all the darkness comes against this one man. Now here he comes, he's claiming to be the promised one. He's carrying all the promises of Israel. And so the demons, these unclean spirits, these creatures of the dark order, are hearing and seeing light breaking into darkness. And so we see a concentration, don't miss this, we see a concentration of evil emerging around Jesus. I don't think there were just demons flying around everywhere all over the globe. I think one of the reasons we see so much activity around demons and unclean spirits and exorcisms of some sort around Jesus is because darkness was concentrating to break the power of light that was coming through the message Jesus brought and through his actual person. And so what we see is when Jesus comes into a village or comes on the scene, we see darkness evil concentrating to break him and part of what they do is they declare who he is and they say you are the son of God now once you think practically what's going on here you have someone in some way possessed by some type of dark force an unclean spirit a demon depending on your translation declaring who Jesus is if you're Jesus You probably don't want a demon teaching people who you are. Just think practically. You probably don't want people trusting the voice of an unclean spirit. And so here you have these dark creatures somehow possessing a human agent, declaring who Jesus is, and Jesus silences them. Partly, I think, because what's happening is Jesus wants to be in control of the message. Second, second is that the demons, these dark creatures, these, these forces, these spirits of the dark order, do not fully understand who Jesus is. This is very important for us to understand. They don't have a clear, full picture of who this king is and what he is here to do. They simply think that if they can cause enough chaos in his ministry, that he, they can rid this world of the light breaking in that Jesus is bringing But they don't understand who Jesus is. Jesus is bringing a completely different message than has ever been brought. He's literally bringing a different kind of life. Now, the Bible will call that the eternal life. So that's just not about getting your ticket to heaven. That's literally a different kind of life. It's that kind of life when someone cuts you off in traffic, you can forgive them rather than flick them off. That kind of thing. It's that kind of life. And Jesus brings a new order into the world. And so he's going to do things differently. And what happens here is right after this verse where Jesus silences the demon that is declaring who he is and the human agent, what happens is, is that we see Jesus reveal the next order, the next move in the kingdom. And it looks very different than anything you would do or I would do. That's where we go in the next scene of Mark. So he moves us quickly to a revealing, to a new layer of the kingdom of God here in this next scene. Here's what we pick up with Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside. He called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out the demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boangines, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zeal, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Right there, right there in those few verses, is the pathway to become an electrician. What Jesus does here is that he puts together a team of apprentices. And he's going to want them to go do things. He's going to want them to actually go preach. This isn't just a matter of getting your degree, getting head smart. This isn't just a matter of reading a lot of books. He is gathering now 12 disciples. And this is going to call back the history of Israel, by the way. This is a calling forward of 12 disciples that look a lot like the 12 tribes of Israel. Because Jesus is here to fulfill all that Israel was supposed to do. And now then he reconstitutes Israel around himself, these 12 disciples, and he's going to make them now his apprentices. And here's how I want to summarize that. uh, This next point, Jesus chose to spread the message of his kingdom using apprentices, not religious crusades, political parties, or big business. I think that's how you and I would do it. If I'm in the business of spreading the message of the gospel, then my goal is to be a really good entrepreneur, build a really big church, grow that thing, create a bunch of multi-sites, go national, maybe go international, and then I will spread the kingdom. Now there's nothing wrong with going big, but when you think big is how the kingdom spreads, that is, by having a really big organization, You've missed it. Or in his day, remember, Jesus is surrounded by people who think if you just pick up enough swords, or you get big enough guns, you know they didn't have guns, we're just running with a a, a figure of speech. If you just have a big enough set of guns, then you can spread the gospel. And unfortunately, followers of Jesus would do this about a thousand years later, and they would run a series of crusades thinking that that's how you spread the message of the kingdom. Or you just put together the best political party possible. You can establish the kingdom of God. And yet, we see Jesus going up on a mountainside and gathering around himself twelve apprentices. This is the other point we shouldn't miss. Let's take this next slide. Jesus used the slow process of training apprentices to spread the message of his kingdom. A slow process. I don't like slow. I like quick. I like big. I like fast. Let's get this thing moving. I'm American. And that's what Americans do. We get things done. But Jesus takes the slow work of training apprentices. And you know that that still is seeped into many of the professions of our day. Hence electricians and other trades. And this is something Jesus said, had something to say, uh, had a lot to say about throughout his teaching ministry. So take a look here, Luke chapter 6 verse 40. He had something to say about the way teachers and masters work or students, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Here he is critiquing the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, that they are making a certain kind of student. But the same principle applies to Jesus. If you are fully trained by Jesus, you will be like the teacher. Take a look at what Jesus says, Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29. We've looked at this scripture several times before in my time together with you. But take a look at it from a different angle. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And what does he say? Learn from me. I want you to enroll into my classroom. And for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You come learn from me, and you'll gain a different kind of life. And then that famous passage, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, where Jesus sends out his disciples at a whole new level of commitment. I want you to read it now from the message version. The reason I pull the message here is because the message gets the sense of the command. It's going to grab at something Jesus is actually saying with words that we can hear in a new way, a fresh way. Here's what Eugene Peterson, how he translates this paraphrase. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave His charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet, far near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. Go out and make students, training them how to do the things I showed you how to do. That's the Great Commission. It's not just to make sure that people can affirm a certain set of intellectual ideas and then they can get their ticket to get on to heaven. It's to train them how to do the things that Jesus showed his apprentices how to do. He's calling them to move up into the journeyman level as they watch their master in his work. That's what Jesus is doing there. And then his apprentices pick up on this later. And I just want to take one scripture here. 1 John 2, verse 6. Take a look. Here's what John writes to these early Christians. Those who say they live in God should live their lives As Jesus did. Not take an exam where you can answer all the right questions. You actually live like your real life looks like your teacher's life. That's what Jesus is doing here in this scene in the Gospel of Mark. He's now calling himself a group of apprentices. And that looks very different than anything he would find in the world at that time. That looked crazy. Now, in our day, there are some that would look at that many and never, never, ever would you do that to get world change. There is a New York Times columnist that I read every once in a while. His name's David Brooks. If you watch the PBS News Hour, you'll see David Brooks on the PBS News Hour every Friday as a political commentator. But he writes on a vast array of issues, particularly political issues, but also social issues. Don't think just hot-button issues. Think uh, analyzing where society is, where culture is. And he's done a lot of work recently on character, like who you are, like your character. And he recently gave a TED Talk. TED Talks are where a lot of smart people get together and say a lot of smart things, post it on the internet, and everyone else goes and watches it and tells them what they already know, that they're smart. And then hopefully there's life change that happens. That's the goal. And they happen across the world. Well, David Brooks just did a TED Talk in April about how to affect social change, like how to actually change the world and you would expect here what many people do. You would expect David Brooks to say something about how you start a really great business or you get a really great group of entrepreneurs together and you promote social change through your organization. And what David Brooks says is that social change, the way you change the world is by getting together a small group of people and then everyone else do what they do. I want you to take a look at the tweet that TED Talks put out and then I want you to see my retweet. Please, humor me. I understand. I am now quoting myself in a sermon with a picture of my retweet. I get what I'm doing. So if you come up to me and go, that was pretty presumptuous. Yes, it is. And I'm just going to do it. Here we go. TED Talks. This, this particular talk, by the way, got over a million views within, within days. That's how popular David Brooks' talk was. Here was a quote. TED Talks decided to tweet. My theory of social change is that society changes when a small group of people find a better way to live, and the rest of us copy them. David Brooks is considered profound because of that statement. Here's my retweet. Jesus thought the same thing. His students continue to promote good around the world. Do you see how backwards our world has gotten? David Brooks can literally promote what Jesus has already done and is doing, and yet he's called brilliant and Jesus is called foolish. Can you imagine? But that's, that's where I want us to get, is to understand that what Jesus was saying and what he was doing was actually quite profound. We've lost his intelligence in our day. We've lost his intelligence. And so what I want to do is I want to take this scene where we're seeing the kingdom of God opened up and we're seeing this new layer of how Jesus is going to affect change. And what I want to do is I want to take these two scenes in Mark and I want to get it down to your life, like where you are. So let's take this whole Bible passage and make some application. I want to ask a question. Here's the question I want to ask. It's going to come up. Are you learning from Jesus how to live your real life? I mean, I get it, and it feels really good, so it might sound good listening, it feels good saying it, everything I just said. It's, it, I just waxed eloquent. But really, really, are you actually learning from Jesus? Or do you just give that lip service? Am I really learning from Jesus? Like Am I like enrolled in the classroom in Jesus' classroom? Am I there? And I really need to think about that. So I often try to get to these questions from different angles, to try to, get, uh, to, try to step on toes, mine included. Here's, here's another way to maybe ask that question. Uh, let's go to the next slide. If researchers studied how you live your real life, who would they say is your teacher? So if like, they just watched you live, they just watched you live, Who would they say is teaching you? Is Fox News teaching you? Is CNN teaching you? Is MSNBC teaching you? Is the political left teaching you? Is the political right teaching you? Are you consumed with biology or physics? Are you stepping into a secular realm where you can't get back out to get to God? Is your pleasure, just your pleasure, like relaxing on your porch, that's your goal and aim in life, is that teaching you? Who would researchers say is your teacher? Because you are human, and you will learn from someone. Dallas Willard, someone who deeply influenced my life several years ago, had a way of saying this. Now, I want to go back to the previous slide, if we could. The greatest issue, Willard says, is this. With all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians, will become disciples, that is, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from Him. How to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. That's the biggest problem we face. I get it. I and you, like we, can profess Jesus as the Christ all day long. But professing Christ as Lord does not require me to have kind words in my home when I'm tired. I can say that all day long from this stage and you won't know the kind of person I am behind closed doors. Unless I'm seriously grappling with the way the kingdom works. And the kingdom has and will always be about Jesus bringing into the kingdom apprentices. Training them how to live a different kind of life. Who is your teacher? Who is your teacher? Let's go two slides over now and ask another question. Do you think Jesus is smart enough to teach you how to live your life now? I want you to think about that. You ever think about Jesus being smart? I mean like smart, like, like he should be given some type of Nobel Prize, smart. Like he should be given a Pulitzer Prize, smart. You could put him on a TED Talk stage, smart. Do you think Jesus is smart enough? What are you listening to every day? There are many singer-songwriters out there today writing some really cool songs with their acoustic guitars. And they have what are called profound lyrics. Or maybe you can harken back to U2, they're still around, some very great lyrics. But are they so profound that that's who you are listening to all the time? And talking about how profound they are? When's the last time you had a conversation where you bragged on Jesus? And how smart he is. Now we brag on people for being smart. Have you ever bragged on Jesus being smart? I mean, I really want you to think about this. Do you think Jesus actually knows how to live your life? Is he smart enough? I don't, let's do away now with the idea of him being Lord. Is he smart enough? Like, does he have the IQ high enough to help you and teach you how to live your life? Because what Jesus was doing in Mark was he was calling a group of apprentices around him saying, now you are going to learn and then go do what I'm going to teach you to do. For that to work, you actually have to think he knew what he was talking about, right? Have you ever been in a class where you didn't think the teacher knew what they were talking about, right? And then after you got outside the class, you then talked with all your friends about how dumb the teacher was, right? We've all done that at some level or at some point. And so we really need to think about this. Do you think Jesus is smart? Dallas Willard really helped me come to understand this. He stepped all over my toes. So, I mean, like we're talking like want to throw the book across the the room, kind of step on your toes. Here's what he said. If you ask evangelicals, let's just say you're an evangelical, okay? If you ask evangelicals to pick the smartest man in the world, very few of them will list Jesus Christ. How can you be a disciple of someone you don't think of as really bright? If you don't think Jesus is smart and highly competent with regard to everything you are involved in, what can you mean by calling him Lord? Is he just a dumb Lord? Is he just a a, a, a under par, you know, below average Lord? Or is he brilliant? If he's brilliant, then you might want to come to his teachings and learn from him. And see, this is what we got to deal with when we see Jesus calling these 12 apprentices around him in this moment. The people, remember, are wanting all the things Jesus can do. And man, that feels good. We want the healings. We want the rescues. We want the miracles. But here we see Jesus showing this new layer of the kingdom as it is going to continue to expand by this message of good news And he's going to do it with a bunch of apprentices. Twelve of them. And one of them is really going to mess up. And he will use all of that for his ends as well. So let's take a next step. Like, Let's take all of this and get it down into something you can do today. I'll do it in just a moment, okay? Here's our next step. When you pray this week, don't just refer to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but also your teacher. Actually use the word teacher. So you can say something like, and, and Jesus as my Lord and Savior and teacher, I ask this, amen. Add the word teacher. Think of him not just as your Lord, and he is, he is king. Remember, he is here bringing the good news of a new order, a new kingdom. Yes, yes, he is Savior and he has saved us from our sins and oh, the m- immense task and the immense new order, and all the complexity that included. But yes, He is Savior, saving us from our sins, saving us from the kingdom of darkness, transferring us to the kingdom of light. Yes, all of that. But He's also your teacher, which means He has a university with a Ph.D. And He's ready to teach you how to live the kind of life that we might call good. So let's pray to him and ask him for help. Father, we thank you for these scenes in the Gospel of Mark. We thank you that you have always been in the business of slow processes. You've always cared enough about individuals. You've always loved and counted the hairs on the heads of individual babies and toddlers and teenagers and young men and women and middle-aged men and women all the way up to those that are old in age. You care at the individual level because you are in the business of drawing students into the kingdom. Forgive us for where we have failed. Give us strength to repent of our sins. And may we be drawn to your Son as our teacher. We thank You that He is King, and we submit. We thank You He is Savior, and we give You praise. And we thank You that He is Teacher, and therefore we enroll. All in His name, both Lord and Savior, and also our Teacher. Together we can say.